Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone. This is Kennard Brown speaking. Kennard Levy Brown, or Levi Brown. I'm your host for the Merciful Service of God Biblical Instructional Program. So welcome, those in the United States and around the world, those uh, 2 billion people that could possibly listen to this program, although I know that certainly I'm not reaching 2 billion people simultaneously, but who knows. We have a great God in heaven that can perform miracles. Anyway, I'm going to talk about today of the feast that's coming up, God's feast, not the Jews' feast, a major one. Well, all of them are major. This is called Yom Teruah. And Yom Teruah in Hebrew means the day of the sounding of the shofar. The shofar is a trumpet in Hebrew. And I'm going to be talking about that later on today. But uh, things are heating up in prophecy right now, and I must go over what's going on that could possibly go on uh, as early as um, after Congress gets back uh, September 9th, uh, they're going to vote whether or not, uh, just like uh, Britain, they had voted whether or not they're going to go and assist the United States in um, bombing uh, Damascus or Syria for their uh, use of chemical weapons, which is under the category of weapons of mass destruction, according to the UN document on that, which you can actually Google and and uh, there's some pretty interesting uh, information in that document about the type of weapons that we do have. It only verifies what Yeshua stated about this end time generation in Matthew chapter 24. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse. <clears throat> 21 well yeah uh, Matthew chapter 24 starting at verse 21 for there will be trouble then worse than there has been from the beginning of the world until now I'm reading this in the complete Jewish Bible version and there will be nothing like it again so we're fast approaching these days and when you hear of the disturbances in Egypt Read Isaiah chapter 19. That's happening as I'm speaking. Uh, when you hear of this situation in Syria, this is, I think this has been going on now for about a year and a half, two years now. 
that is Isaiah chapter 17. Now, will Damascus be destroyed uh, in the next couple of weeks? I don't know. That's the reason why he tells us to watch, to watch these things. Um, we do know that things are starting to be prophetically fulfilled, but we don't know exactly when. That's the reason why we have to continue to watch. But it certainly is no coincidence or accidental occurrence that Egypt is in the news in these end times and also Damascus or Syria, because the Bible said that would happen. And each of those events will play a role in the end time coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, or Yeshua Messiah, or Yeshua HaMashiach. All right, so that is the thing that we need to focus on. I don't think I quoted verse 22 here. Indeed, if the length of this time had not been limited or cut short, that's what the King James Version states, no one would survive. No one would survive. And when did this begin? When did we have the, the capability to fulfill this prophecy by the greatest prophet who ever lived, the Word of God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ? Well, August August 6, 1945, with the detonation of Little Boy over Hiroshima. And then they sent out another bomb uh, to destroy Nagasaki. Harriet Truman, or Harry Truman, not Harriet Truman, but Harry Truman at that time, our president at that time, stated that we have entered another phase in world history. We have tapped into the power of the universe. And he realized that from from uh, from that time forth that we have started to live in perilous times. But we really didn't have the capability of blowing each man and woman and child off this earth until, I would say, the late 1950s, early 60s, and certainly in the 70s. And so that really began the time or the capability of us being able to do that, to be able to just destroy this whole earth. However, the nuclear bomb generation certainly began in 1945. And so Yeshua stated plainly that when you look at this prophecy here, I'm going to read this in the King James because it's a whole lot more clear. Um, he states in, in Matthew 24, verse 32, Now learn the parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and put a forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So, I mean, many people say, oh, this is Israel, but that's not really the focus of what he's saying here. He's, he's making a comparison about the fact that uh, a fig tree, when the branch is yet tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Now, that could refer to, of course, Israel, but also he's just making a point saying when you you see these things, he's using an analogy here in verse 33, so likewise or similarly, when you see all these things, what things? The things that he's talking about in this chapter. You know, if you want to understand prophecy, a good way to start understanding prophecy is to study Matthew chapter 24. It's pretty clear about what it's saying here. And just believe the words. So likewise, ye, when you see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. So I'm just following what the Lord is saying. What, what am I seeing? Well, I'm seeing uh, earthquakes in various places, as he stated would happen. I'm seeing uh, wars 
and rumors of wars. I'm seeing the possibility, as I'm speaking, of nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom. He says, but the end is not yet. Kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines, and the famines have, have been all around the world for the past, uh, even in the 20th century. Uh, it's, it's gotten worse in the 21st century. And pestilences, diseases, and earthquakes in various places. And in verse 10, here's a prophecy that is being fulfilled, and I know personally is being fulfilled in, in, in my area. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And that prophecy is not only being fulfilled uh, among God's assemblies or God's assemblies, but also outside of uh, religion uh, and, and, and organize, various organizations around the world and in the United States. And in verse 11, and many false prophets, these are false preachers, many, not few, shall rise and deceive many. And I try to tell people to, to be careful about what you read on the Internet. Make sure that you're doing diligent Bible study and make sure that what you're reading just because it looks nice and it's, the graphics are, are real uh, appealing doesn't mean that what they're saying is true or it has all the truth. You have to do diligent Bible study, and one of the ways to do that is to get this free program called eSword off the Internet. And you need to be able to, under each individual subject, a word that you're studying, like, for instance, Holy Convocation. With the eSword, I can type that in there and it'll pull up every scripture under Holy Convocation. And I have another tool called the Word Study, the Complete Word Study Dictionary, that takes one word and it, it gives you all the major scriptures under that word so you would understand what it means. And you need those tools to be able to do effective Bible study. You need those tools to make sure you don't get deceived by somebody. Because there, there's going to come a time that there's going to be deceivers in the world. Actually, that time has come already. And you have to know, you have to have the ability to be able to discern what is true and what isn't true. And as I've been trying to explain on this program and my newsletters and so forth, there are people like myself that are trained to be able to tell you if a certain, te a certain teaching is true or not. And what I find to be the common trend is that people, they, they start to, to understand that they've been lied on. At Jeremiah 16, verse 19 to 21, states what would happen to people. Um, and they get a little knowledge and they get Eric and they think they can teach the teacher. See, and, and that... You can teach the teacher, but in most cases, the teacher is going to know more than you about the subject area because, after all, the teacher taught you. So those are the things that that new believers in particular have to be very careful and that they have to, to really understand that they must humble themselves to be able to understand the Bible and to be able to understand it and they must always be willing to be taught by that teacher that introduced them to the Word of God and also introduced them to uh, fellowship in their local area. 
But when you get arrogant and, and you think you know everything and so forth, you're not being like a little child. You're being like a little brat. And that's something that uh, uh, you have to eliminate. So it, it's, it's uh, unfortunate. And uh, there's a prophecy um, that, uh, well, actually it says right here, uh, let me turn to Second Timothy here. So we, we have to be careful about who we listen to. Well, this just tells you about the, the state that we live in right now. Second Timothy three verse one. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. We certainly are in those perilous times now. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Let me read this in a. Um, 1965 Bible and basic English version, but be certain of this, that in the last days, times of trouble will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, uplifted in pride, given to bitter words, going against the authority of their fathers, never giving praise, having no religion, without natural love, bitter haters, saying evil of others, violent and uncontrolled, hating all good, false to their friends, acting without thought, lifted up in mind, loving pleasure more than God having a form of religion or faking religion, basically, but turning their backs on the power of it, go not with these or avoid these people. For these are they who go secretly into houses, making prisoners of foolish women, weighted down with sin, turned from the way of their evil desires, ever learning, ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of what is true. And uh, you, you can do that. You can just go on the Internet and just read all kinds of things, but... but uh, you can get to a point where you're just ever learning, but you're, you're never learning what you need to learn. And what you need to learn is information that will help you change and become a better person. That's the focus. That's what should be the focus of, of your Bible study. Not um, studying just to to say that you know something more than someone else or whatever. Uh, that that's That's really not why you... You Bible study. So, uh, you Bible study so that you can become a better person. So, that you can perhaps uh, teach uh, other people the Bible. So, you must have a humble attitude when it comes to that. So, anyway, in the remaining 45 minutes here, let's go over some world news that we need to pay attention to, and we must prepare just in case uh, something does happen to Damascus, as the Bible prophecies indicate would occur eventually in this end time. Now, I'm going to watch.org, you can go with me if you buy your PC, www.watch.org, so that's www.watch.org. The first headline here says, President Obama turns to Congress to OK strike against Syria. And says right here, um, Kerry to appear on all five Sunday shows. Secretary of State John Kerry will appear on all five Sunday talk shows this weekend, setting up the opportunity to make President Obama's case on Syria to the public and to members of Congress. So, of course, he's doing this so Congress can say, yes, let's go and attack Syria. And let me read a little bit about uh, what Obama said uh, under the uh, heading of President Obama turns to Congress to OK strike against Syria. President Obama announced Saturday that he has concluded the United States should take military action 
against Syrian President Bashar al-Assad and his regime for using chemical weapons on civilians, but will first seek authorization from Congress. Quote, this menace must be confronted, end of quote, Obama said of the Assad regime's alleged strike, speaking from the Rose Garden. The announcement, though, sets up a timetable for debate that could drag on for weeks. So, again, this could drag on for weeks, and, you know, uh, based on American um, <laughs> politics, uh, we know that that's a great possibility because they can't seem to make up their minds to do anything other than argue and complain. But anyway, um, we need to take a look at the, what's going on here and, and uh, realize that this could be the fulfillment of the following prophecy in Isaiah chapter 17. Isaiah chapter 17. The burden of Damascus. Behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city, and it shall be a ruinous heap. It should be a ruinous heap. Now, according to the John Gill commentary, it says uh, Damascus is a kingdom as the Targum. It was the head of one, but now its walls were demolished, its houses pulled down, and its inhabitants carried captive. This was done by Tiga the Peneser, king of Isaria, in Second Kings 16, verse 9. It had been a very ancient city, and the head of the kingdom of Syria. And though it underwent this calamity, it was rebuilt again and was a city of great fame when destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, after which it was raised up again and was in being in the apostles' time and still is. So it was it was destroyed two times and raised again. All right? But the interesting thing about this, let's continue to read it. In verse 2, the cities of Aurora are forsaken. They shall be for flocks which shall lie down, and none shall make them afraid. The fortress also shall cease from Ephraim. Now, I have to always include this uh, disclaimer, because I know that there's some people that are listening to me for the first time. Whenever you see Ephraim in the Bible, it's referring uh, to the ten tribes of Israel that are supposedly lost, but they're not. If you go to Yer Davidi's website, www.britam.org, you will be amazed at what you'll find. And what you'll find is that the ten tribes consist of the United States, the British Commonwealth of Nations, geographically, the countries in Northwestern Europe, Canada, New Zealand, South Africa, Australia. Of course, anyone that grasps himself onto Israel, as, as Ephesians chapter 2 reveals, uh, they automatically become part of the Commonwealth of Israel because they worship the king of Israel, who is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And that Messiah will be going by Israel's rules and regulations that um, the great Almighty revealed to Moshe or Moses. Okay, so it says right here in Isaiah chapter 17, starting in verse 3, and look this original word up, fortress in the, the, the Hebrew, it means mitz zara. It means a fortification, castle, or fortified city. All right? So the fortified city also shall cease from Ephraim. Now, there's many different things it can be referring to. Is this referring to uh, Washington, D.C.? Is that a fortified city? I don't know. This says the fortress shall cease from Ephraim. And we know this happened before, but prophecy is dual. And I'm going to show you that this prophecy is dual. And the kingdom from Damascus. Now, what's that word kingdom in the original Hebrew? 
Mamlaka, dominion, estate, country, the rule. So the fortress also shall cease from Ephraim and the kingdom from Damascus. Now remember, the United States is a part of Ephraim and the remnant of Syria, and they shall be as the glory of the children of Israel, says the, the Lord of hosts. And this commentary says, that is, the Syrians who were in alliance with Israel should share the same fate, should be carried away captive as they were, should have their metropolis and other cities and their whole kingdom taken from them and be stripped of their grandeur and wealth and have no more glory than they had, which was none at all, or at least very small, as the next verse shows. And in that day shall it be come to pass that the glory of Jacob shall be made thin. Now, when you, whenever you, you see the word Jacob there, it's referring to the all the tribes of Israel. And you go to Genesis chapter 49, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and he blessed all the tribes. Now, the tribe of Judah are the Jews of today. Shall be made thin, and the fatness of his flesh shall wax lean. So this is talking about some economic uh, problems here that, that will add them to the ones we already have here. Not only in this country, but in those geographical areas I just mentioned. Verse 5, And it shall be as when the harvestman gathereth the corn and reapeth the ears within his, with his arm, and it shall be as he that gathereth ears in the valley of Rephaim. Yet gleaning grapes shall be left in it as the shaking of an olive tree, two or three berries in the top of the othermost bow, four or five in the othermost fruitful branches thereof, says the Lord God of Israel. Or Israel. Verse 7, At that day shall a man look to his maker, and his eyes shall have respect to the Holy One of Israel. So this is leading all the way to the return of the Messiah. That's what that is doing here. So this is interesting here that this prophecy is referring to the Messiah. It says the one in the Gill commentary, the one only living and true God who has made him and not being he himself any other creature, that is such as left as before described a remnant according to the election of grace, there shall look to God for help and assistance, for supply, support, and protection, and to Christ particularly who is the maker of all things. All right, so this is interesting how this prophecy will lead to the return of the Messiah. Verse 8, And he shall not look to the altars, the work of his hands, neither shall respect that which his fingers have made. This has not happened yet. Either the groves or the images, and that day shall his strong cities be as a forsaken bow and outmost branch, which they left because of the children of Israel, and there shall be desolation. Because thou hast forgotten the God of thy salvation, and hast not been mindful of the rock of thy strength, therefore shall thou plant pleasant plants, and shall set it with strange slips. So anyway, again, this is talking about the return of the Messiah. But before he returns, there's going to be issues. And in verse 9, unfortunately, it says, In that day shall his strong cities be as forsaken bow and an utmost branch, meaning the strong cities of Ephraim or Jacob, the ten tribes, which should be forsaken of their inhabitants, having fled from before the enemy, or being slain or carried captive like a bow of a tree that is forsaken, stripped of its leaves, and an utmost branch of a tree that is dead and dry and has nothing left. So this is this is not good news, folks. Um, this is something that we need to pay attention to. And this is talking about something that will lead to the return of the Messiah. 
And I don't know, this may be a span of years, it could be one year, I, I don't know. All I'm saying is that let's, let's keep an eye on what's going on in Damascus. And we will be able to understand these prophecies better as these things occur. Okay, so we have uh, 35 minutes left. Um, I'm going to talk about um, some domestic events here in the United States, some things that we need to be prepared for. Uh, I suggest highly that uh, you start preparing, as FEMA has suggested everyone, for any type of uh, disasters. Uh, this is hurricane season now. We, we've reached a peak of hurricane season, so we need to be prepared for anything uh, according to our government uh, emergency agency, FEMA. And according to the Bible, the Bible plainly reveals in Proverbs chapter 22 that we should be wise and prepare for things. A prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. So there's there's some evil things, there's some things coming up, folks. You hear about this, what's going on in Syria. You, you hear about other things and just don't fall asleep and say, hey, let me go look at my football game and get drunk. Let's prepare for these things. The world is very wicked at this point, and things can happen that can change your life permanently. You don't want to be caught. Okay? I'm prepared. So let's prepare. Let's get out of your spiritual drunkenness, and let's prepare for these end times. And uh, you, you prepare spiritually first, but you certainly prepare physically, just like uh, Noah did in Hebrews chapter 11. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. And Yeshua stated in Luke chapter 17 that these are certainly the days of Lot and Noah. Let's turn to Luke chapter 17. Um... Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 26. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage into the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Similarly, or likewise, similarly, or likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it, but the same day, that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It destroyed them all. And we are certainly living in the days of Lot because of uh, rampant homosexuality, the acceptance of same-sex marriage. So these are certainly the end times, folks. Uh, Jesus, or Yeshua, should be coming back in the 21st century. There's it's really uh, no logical way to reason around that. Uh, it shouldn't take 87, well, there's no way that we're going to last as a civilization 87 years the way things are going now, the way we are, uh, how the wickedness is uh, getting worse and worse and, and how we're taking care of the planet Earth and, and all kinds of other things that we're doing that's contributing to the destruction, the eventual destruction of this world if the Messiah did not come back. So he has to come back or else, as he stated, no one would survive. 
we have certainly reached that point in world history. So we have to understand that, ladies and gentlemen, and let's let's get serious now. You are living in the in the final generation here, and we need to prepare for great catastrophes in the world. We certainly must prepare for that, and let's uh, realize that um, it's going to be tough times ahead of us. But we have to prepare mentally and physically for these times. I'm going to read to you something from one of our presidents, Franklin D. Roosevelt. He was the 32nd president of the United States on page one, page 195 of Prayers and Presidents, Inspiring Faith from Leaders of the Past by William J. Federer. Really good book. This is from Franklin D. Roosevelt, January 6, 1941, for Freedom Speech. We look forward to a world founded upon four essential human freedoms, the first in freedom of speech and expression. The second is freedom of every person to worship God in his own way. Actually, we should be free from sin and to worship him in the right way. But anyway, this nation has placed its destiny in the hands and heads and hearts of its millions of free men and women and its faith and freedom under the guidance of God. So, But the ultimate freedom that we need to be working toward is freedom from sin, freedom from the curse of disobeying the law which should be properly understood as the instructions of, of God in the entire Bible. So, that's a quote from one of our presidents. And let's look at some domestic news here before I get into the Bible study of Yom Teruah. And I go to a, a website that really uh, keeps up to date with everything, the Economic Collapse blog So you can go there with me if um, you are by your PC. The EconomicCollapseBlog.com. What I usually do when I do this, if I find some headlines that are worth reading, I do. But this is a excellent, excellent blog to 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 get you up to date with what's really going on. He has information about gold coins, silver coins, emergency food, survival supplies, military uh, surplus. Um, self-defense. I mean, he has all kinds of information on here to prepare you for what's about to go down here. Uh, he has a book. I don't know he had a book. He has a book, uh, The Beginning of the End. Um, it's 442 pages. So, you know, we need to understand that uh, we're living in the end times, folks, and we need to get our act together. And he states here, one of his headlines, who benefits from a war between the United States and Syria? He says if Barack Obama is going to attack Syria, he is going to do it without the support of the American people, without the approval of Congress, without the approval of the United Nations, and without the help of the British. Well, he hasn't gotten, we don't know about the Congress yet, so he may get approval from Congress, we'll see. Now that the British Parliament has voted against a military strike, the Obama administration is saying that it may take unilateral, or unilateral means uh, alone, against Syria. But what good would a shot across Syria's bow actually do? A limited strike is not going to bring down the Assad regime, and it's certainly not going to end the bloody civil war that has been raging inside Syria. Even if the U.S. eventually removed Assad, the al-Qaeda-affiliated rebels that would take power would almost certainly be even worse than Assad. 
even in the midst of this bloody civil war, the rebels have taken the time and the effort to massacre entire Christian villages. Why is Barack Obama so obsessed with helping such monsters? There is no good outcome in Syria. The Assad regime is absolutely horrible, and the rebels are even worse. Why would we want the U.S. military to get involved in such a mess? And he states here, uh, will war with Syria cause the price of oil to explode higher? Well, we will see. And 22 reasons why starting World War III in the Middle East is a really bad idea. Well, <laughs> any war is a really bad idea, but let's read what he says here. He says, while most of the country is obsessing over Miley Cyrus, which is ridiculous, uh, the Obama administration is preparing a military attack against Syria, which has the potential of starting World War III. Yes, it does. In fact, it is being reported that cruise missile strikes could begin as early as Thursday, which we now know that's been modified, that he's not going to make a decision until Congress gets back as early as September 9th. The Obama administration is pledging that the strikes will be limited, but what happens when the Syrians fight back? What happens if they sink a U.S. naval vessel or they have agents start hitting targets inside the United States? Then we would have a full-blown war on our hands. And what happens if the Syrians decide to retaliate by hitting Israel? If Syrian missiles start raining down on Tel Aviv, Israel will be extremely tempted to absolutely flatten Damascus, which would, by the way, fulfill that prophecy in Isaiah chapter 17. It would be a ruinous heap. And they are more than capable of doing precisely that. I know that. They got nukes. And, of course, Hezbollah and Iran are not likely to just sit idly by as their close ally Syria is battered into oblivion. We are looking at a scenario where the entire Middle East could be set aflame, and that might only be just the beginning. Russia and China are uh, sternly warning the U.S. government not to get involved in Syria. And by starting a war with Syria, we do an extraordinary amount of damage to our relationships with those two global superpowers. Now, again, what did this say about Ephraim? It said that uh, their fortress would be weakened. Could this be the beginning of a chain of events that could eventually lead to a massive global conflict with Russia and China on one side and the United States on the other? We'll see. It could happen. Of course, it will not happen immediately, but I fear that what is happening now is setting the stage for some really bad things. Okay, so that's what could happen here. Oh, this is ridiculous. It is illegal to feed the homeless in cities all over the United States. I did not know this. It says, what would you do if a police officer threatened to arrest you for trying to share a sandwich with a desperately hungry homeless woman that really needed it? Such a notion sounds absolutely bizarre, but this is actually happening in major cities all over the United States. Now, that this is ridiculous. I mean, this is, this is total wickedness. <laughs> More than 50 large U.S. cities have adopted anti-camping or anti-food sharing laws. In recent years, and in many of these cities, the police are strictly enforcing these laws. Sometimes the goal appears to be to get the homeless people to go away. Apparently, the heartless politicians that are passing these laws believe that if the homeless can't get any more free food and if they keep getting thrown into prison for illegal camping, they will eventually decide to go somewhere else where they don't won't be hassled so much. There is yet another example of how heartless our society is becoming, or is, I would say. The middle class is being absolutely shredded, and poverty is absolutely exploding. But meanwhile, the hearts of many Americans are growing very cold. Now, what does that prophecy state in Matthew chapter 24? This is being fulfilled. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. 
And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And, and that's being fulfilled, unfortunately. It says, uh, if this continues, what is the future of America going to look like? Uh, we're not going to have too much of a future, obviously. If this continues on, people not caring about the poor and and being judgmental and so forth, and uh, it's just sad. It's just really sad. And you need to be praying for our nation. You need to be praying for the entire world, uh, for our leaders to repent, to repent. That's what we need to be doing. Okay. Let's go over this Bible study of Yom Teruah in the remaining 23 minutes that I have. Uh, as I stated, Yom Teruah, the, the feast is coming up on this coming Sunday, according to New Moon Observation, uh, September 8th. I know the Jews go by their their calendar that estimates uh, the sighting of the New Moon. Anyway, Yom Teruah is coming, and it means the day of the sounding of the Shofar. Now, according to Judaism 101, Judaism has several different New Years. This is a concept which may seem strange at first, but think of it this way. The American New Year starts in January, but the new school year, the new school year starts in September. And uh, many businesses have fiscal years that start at various times of the year. Judaism Nisan 1 is the new year for the purpose of counting the reign of kings and the months on the calendar. So for religious purposes, uh, Nisan is the first month of the year. And that's cited by New Moon's observation, as uh, Exodus chapter 12 reveals, at Deuteronomy 16, verse 1. And the Jewish calendar is, is, they estimate the sighting of the New Moon. But we have a group uh, in Jerusalem called the Israeli New Moon Society who is trying to lobby the Israeli government and the Orthodox Jews to start going back to New Moon observation. But anyway, Elu, the first of Elu, which um, we're still in right now, in August is the new year for the tithing of animals. Shavat 15 in February is the new year for trees, uh, determining when first fruits can be eaten. And Tishri 1, Rosh Hashanah, is the new year for years when we increase the year number. Um, sabbatical and Jubilee years begin at this time. So Rosh Hashanah, the real true Rosh Hashanah is Nisan. And the, according to the Jews, the Tishri 1 or Yom Teror, that is really the agricultural new year, but it's not the really the new year we should be going by as far as the calendar, God's uh, true calendar is concerned. Okay, I just wanted to clarify that. So, Leviticus chapter 23, starting in verse 24, let's read that. Leviticus chapter 23, starting in verse uh, 24. It says, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall you have a Shabbat, a memorial of blowing of trumpets. All right, so this is a memorial of blowing of trumpets. All right, and he calls this a Shabbat. So we need to understand that he calls this a Shabbat 
a memorial blowing a trumpet is a holy convocation. And in verse 3, he said what a holy convocation is, and we have some people that don't seem to understand English or understand the original Hebrew or what it means, nor do they understand or picture what this day is about, which is a type of Shabbat, according to the Scriptures, because all Shabbats have a holy convocation. So, let's read what it says here. Speaking to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall ye have a Shabbat, a memorial, blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. When a trumpet is blown, it assembles everybody. So that tells you the, the, the meaning of a holy convocation. But anyway, verse 25, you shall do no more servile work or work for profit therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Made an offering by fire unto the Lord. So God wants you to, to give at this time as well. Give to the poor and give to his ministers, like me, for instance, okay? Uh, this is the time to, to give to us. And then Numbers chapter 29, Numbers chapter 29. Starting in verse 1. And in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation and a commanded assembly. You shall do no more servile work. It is a day of blowing a trumpet unto you. You shall offer a burnt offering for a sweet savor unto the Lord, one young bullock, one ram, seven lambs of the first year without blemish. And this is a lot of giving here. And their meat offering shall be a flour mingled with oil, three-tenths for a bullock, and two-tenths for a ram, and one-tenth for one lamb throughout the seven lambs, and one kid of the goats for a sin offering to make an atonement for you, beside the burnt offering of the month and his meat offering and his daily burnt offering and his meat offering or grain offering, that's what that should mean, and the drink offerings according to the manner for the sweet Savior sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord. So there's a lot of giving, a lot of giving on this day, Yom Teror. Now, Messiah will feel, of Messiah is uh, Christ in Hebrew. Christ is the Greek for the Messiah, and Messiah is Hebrew for Christ. But anyway, Messiah will fulfill Yom Teruah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and Shemini Ezra in the future. Isaiah chapter 11 in the book of Revelation pictured the fulfillment of these fall holy days of Elohim, which means God. Now, if you want to know a summary of the Messiah work, John chapter 1, verse 29. Let's, let's turn there. John chapter 1, verse 29. This is a summary of the entire work of the Messiah. The next day, John sees Jesus coming unto him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. And that one verse <laughs> sums up all the holy days. But I'm going to go into detail, though. Um, here, here's the sequence found in Leviticus chapter 23. The Passover represents the Messiah's death and mankind's deliverance through him. The door of immortality is open again to all of mankind because the scriptures indicate in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 16, says, actually starting in verse 15, 
Actually, verse 14, understand the context. That thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, which in his time he shall show, who is the blessed and only pontitate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who only has immortality. So he's the only one that has immortality. None of us have immortality yet. Dwelling in the light which no man can approach, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Yam Habikarim, which is the day of the wave sheaf offering or first fruits. So that represents Yeshua rising from the dead. He was the first of the first fruits. Shavuot, which is Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the Messiah's followers so that Torah, or the law, can be obeyed. This will be fulfilled in a mighty way when the Messiah comes again, as Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32 reveals. Now, there's a gap of almost 2,000 years. God, through the Holy Spirit, is sowing and reaping true believers to rule with him in the kingdom of God. So this gap occurred, of course, after the resurrection of Yeshua, and it's been going on ever since. The great multitude is part of the great harvest that will be gathered into the kingdom of God in the 21st century. And this is found in Revelation chapter 7, verses 11 to 17, and Matthew 13. Well, let's actually let's read Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 11. Revelation chapter uh, 7, rather than 17. Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 11. And all the angels stood about around the throne, and the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped, saying, Amen, blessing, glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might. Uh, actually, let me uh, go to verse 13 here, Revelation 7, verse 13. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and where do they come from? Verse 14, And I said unto them, Sir... You know, and he said to me, these are they which came out of great tribulation. They didn't come individually out, but as a group. And have washed their robes and has made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They are there before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sits on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. For the Lamb which sits in the middle of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them and waters um, into living fountains of waters and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes so it pictures the the new heavens and the new earth it leads all into that and these believers you know they have key characteristics which is revealed in Matthew 5 verse 3 to 16 and Luke 6 verse 20 to 26 they're poor in spirit and physically poor they mourn, they are meek, they hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're pure in heart, they're peacemakers, and they're, of course, persecuted. Now, Yom Teror pictures the seven trumpet plagues listed and revealed in Revelation chapter 8 and 9 and Revelation 11, verse 15 to 19. The seven trump announces the Messiah's return with the blast of a chauffeur. Plus, it pictures the gathering together of the saints in physical Israel. So 
understand that's holy convocation is a gathering together of everybody. It's not just uh well, I just gather together with my family and forget about other people's families. That's not what it's about. It's it's an assembly. That's what a Shabbat is and that's all the other um, holy convocation the holy days are like a Shabbat and a Shabbat is like a holy day. It is a holy day. It's a feast. They're all feasts. They're all more deems or appointed times, meetings, congregations, time to, to fellowship. Okay, so first Thessalonians chapter four. First Thessalonians chapter four, beginning in verse sixteen. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So the Yom Teruah is the time of the resurrection. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air and, and shall meet the Lord in the air. Where, for comfort one another with these words. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Starting in verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. What's the last trump? Well, the seventh trump in the book of Revelation. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. We shall all be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality, which means no one has immortality other than God himself and uh, Yeshua. Verse 54, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, so we have to put on immortality, we don't have it yet, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory, O death. Where is thy sting, O grave? Where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the Torah. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What a beautiful scripture there. A beautiful scripture. And uh, in Revelation chapter 11, Revelation chapter 11, starting in verse 15, says, And the seven angels sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. In verse 16, And the twenty-four elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because you have taken to thee that great power and his reign. And the nations were angry, so at this time there's going to be some nations angry that he's coming back. It tells you the mental state of most people in the world at this time. And thy wrath has come, and the time of the dead, that's the time of the resurrection, that they should be judged, and that thou should give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, that's the resurrection. That's one of the major rewards, immortality unto the saints. And them that fear thy name, small and great, that should destroy them which destroy the earth. So, again, this is a time of war. This is a time of war. And usually around this time, certain events happen that are war-based. And right now, in 
the context of Yom Teruah and the fall feast. President Obama says he wants to attack Syria. Now, we'll, we will see whether or not Yah will allow this to occur. We have to watch and pray that we'll be worthy to escape all these things that may occur. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I don't know. That's why I'm watching. You know, I'm not a I'm not a false prophet. I don't go around predicting things uh, that are not clear in the Bible. However, I, I'm just I just showed you what God said would happen in, the, in these end times, in reference to Damascus. So that we have to pay attention to that. That's how you watch. You use the scriptures, and you look at events. This is event based. It's not date based or day based. It's event based. And right now, an event could occur. According to the Bible, that can cause great chaos to the United States, to the British Commonwealth, to Canada, to New Zealand, to South Africa, to Australia, and to uh, the countries in Northwestern Europe, and to all believers worldwide. So we need to to pay attention to these things, folks. Uh, I have to tell you these things. If I don't, you know what would happen to me. But I'm doing it because I love you all, but for extra motivation, <laughs> let me turn to Ezekiel chapter 33 and then read this to you. Uh, verse 3, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blows he blows the trumpet and warn the people. And this is interesting that I am blowing the trumpet of my mouth here through this radio program to warn people not only in this country but around the world, that could ha- what could happen here. World War III could possibly begin here. And if I see something, and I am seeing it, he's given me the ability to see these things, then I must tell you, verse 4, that whosoever hears the sound of the trumpet, in this case my mouth, and take not warning, if the sword comes and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. And so if you don't listen to this, and it does occur, and if and, and, and you don't listen to me warning you, and me, really my warning is that you need to repent, you need to get immersed, you need to continue listening to my program and to other people's programs that are preaching the truth, but I know I'm preaching the truth, and you can prove it, so you should listen to my program. And please social media this program to other people so they can get undeceived. Revelation 12, verse 9 says that the devil has deceived the entire world, and and. And Jeremiah chapter 16, verses 19 and 21, plainly reveals that we have inherited lies from our fathers. So we have to repent of all the wickedness that has happened, and we, we have to realize that uh, we have to all come back to God. Ezekiel 33, verse 4, that whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and takes not warning, if the sword comes and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, like you're listening to my trumpet right now, and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him. But he that takes warning shall deliver his soul, or save his his life. Verse 6, But if the watchman see the sword comes, and blow not the trumpet, which I have no interest in doing, and the people be not warned, if the sword comes, take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So I am a watchman. I have to admit that. I do have the ability to see world events and understand them in the light of Bible prophecy. Verse 7, So thou, O son of man, I have set thee as a watchman into the house, and I am one of the watchmen of Israel. And there's others. Therefore thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. And I'm, I'm, I don't hear it from 
Yah's mouth or God's mouth directly. I, I hear it indirectly through the scriptures. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked, thou shalt surely die, if thou does not speak to the, and warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thy hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered thy soul. So anyway, that that's, and I see these things, and I'm warning you, I'm commanded of God to do that. I'm also commanded to do the following in Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58, starting at verse 1. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily. Yes, we do, in our synagogues and in our churches and and, and in this country, around the world, and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness. Righteousness is obeying the commandments. And forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me of the ordinance of justice. The Jews obey the commandments to the best of their ability. They just deny the Messiah, which is a sin, by the way. Uh, they ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Where have, wherefore have we fasted? They say, and thou seest not. Where have we afflicted our soul? And you have taken no knowledge. Behold, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exact all your labors. So they don't fast. And then in verse 4, Behold, you fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fist of the wickedness. You shall not fast as you do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. This is a a very good scripture to read at this time. It shows you why you should fast. It's, it's an unselfish act. Something that Yeshua did during 40 days and 40 nights. And because of that, he did not fellowship with people. So uh, he stated plainly that fasting is something you should do um, I mean, by his example, he stated uh, that, uh, or showed that on the Shabbat, you should do good. Well, if you have to fast on Shabbat, it's something that you're doing good is an unselfish act. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we must prepare, and I've warned you, um, continue to listen to this program, email me, so you can get instructions on how to truly repent. And, and become immersed and receive the Holy Spirit. That's the best way that you can protect yourself at this time. May God bless and keep you, and Yah willing, I'll be available to you next week. Shalom. Peace. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come 
and smite the earth with a curse.